evening, everyone. I um been sick. Uh, you might have noticed in my newsletter or on my whining on Facebook about that. I ran a fever for like six whole days. From 103 to 99.7. It was, you know, so yeah, 103. I was like, wow. I kind of felt accomplished, you know, because I haven't run a temperature that high since I was a little kid. You know, you know, little kids run high. But um, anyways, <clears throat> that was me. That was in my chat room. Is like there's people in there, but no one's talking, and it's really weird. I wonder if you guys can even hear me. Uh, you can probably hear me. Anyways, I was reading what might have been over the weekend, and I, uh, you know, the thing is, is what might have been the first um, installment of what might have been was published June 9th, 2008, um, so that's um, eight years ago over the summer, it, um, what might have been turned eight years old um, officially, and I ended the series um, June 3rd, 2009, so um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of time uh, since I wrote that series, and um, it isn't the first time I've read it through since I finished it, but I was trying to figure out why I fizzled on Ring of Fire, and I couldn't, um, I, I couldn't really grab a hold of the of the second arc of of that series, and I I really couldn't figure out why because I really loved my characters, and that was really where I where I introduced Matt Shepard, and I and I really enjoy his character and his relationship with Cameron and um, Sebastian is you know um, one of my favorite OCs, and I I just couldn't figure out where the drive went, and so I was reading it this weekend, and I there were a lot of opportunities and in what might have been that I missed as a writer and I saw them really clearly for the first time um since I finished what might have been and it was a really frustrating experience I don't hate what I've got there I mean I I I really enjoy what might have been as it is but there's so much more that it could have been and it's really annoying, and that's the annoying part. And I just, you know, the thing is, is you know, when, when you have been writing as long as I have, th- this experience happens to me a lot. I uh, been writing for over two decades, and there have been plenty of times when I've gone back and read something that I wrote, you know, eight, nine, ten, fifteen years ago. I think to myself, oh God, why didn't I do this, this, and this? And why did I do that? And why did I have him say this when he could have said, you know, and you just second guess yourself. Um, with professional work, you can't really go back. Um, well, you can go back like with second editions and third editions and make minor changes and all, you know, just small adjustments. But um, with professional work, you, you really can't uh, close the door on that. I mean, it's it's done and 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 you can't go back and and do anything with it. And I had that mindset for me that I couldn't go back and and do um anything differently after I had it published um because of my my work professional writer and it's just the way my mind has all, you know, kind of um always worked. And I had like a little epiphany on Sunday when I realized 
I could totally rewrite what might have been because it's mine. Right? Because the thing is, with professional projects, you know, they're yours, but they're also somebody else's because you signed a contract and, you know, there's been an editor involved and there was a publisher involved. And even when you get your right back, you know, your rights back, thousands upon thousands of people have read this work. They paid for it. Um, So when you share your work on a professional level, there's an obligation to your audience to keep the product. And it is a product at that point to keep the product where it was when they bought it. Well, my fan fiction's not a product. So I can do whatever the hell I want with it. Now, currently what might've been is actually um, in a big edit with one of my betas, um, one of my older betas, um, kind of get her mind around, do some personal issues. And so I asked her if she wanted to edit, um, what might've been, um, all, hold on a minute. Let me, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you how big it is because it's ridiculous. And so I sent this poor, I sent Heather, um, this poor, poor girl. I sent her, um, what might've been the entire thing. And it is 917 pages. That's how big the PDF would be if I made it right now. It's 917 pages. Um, 257,000 words. But it's 917 pages. And um, so so Heather has it, and she's been um, doing a line edit on it. And um, when I, I think that when I get it back from her, I'm just going to um, I'm, I'm gonna sit down and, and just do all the things that I think I should do with it. And republish it. I nine hundred seventeen is a good number. I think that's a really good number. Uh, it's just, I don't know. There's just it's a weird situation to be in um, when uh, you you encounter this in your work, and especially when you've been writing for a very very long time. Um, and um, I think that's one of the ways that um, new writers have it easy. You know, new writers have a lot of stumbling blocks when they're getting started, but they don't have that backlog of work that they end up slogging through when they can't do anything else. And then, you know, they have all these regrets sitting on top of them. So it's a mixed bag. Yes, I my lifetime word count is pretty ridiculous. Um, I I've done estimates in the past, but honestly, they couldn't be. The, I have no way of giving an accurate number of my lifetime word count. Um, God, it it has to be over 10 million words. I mean, it lit- there's no way it's under 10 million words. Um, just if I count all of my um, work that I wrote in notebooks um, and um, professional novels and short stories and just all that since I started, it's, it's well over 10 million words and it, um, it, in my lifetime. Um, uh, so updating um what might have been is just 
I need to kind of reset my brain a little. And since what might have been was my first love project in in, in fandom, um, as an adult writer, I I feel like it's where I need to go. So that's where I'm going. Um, and um, I need to email Heather and see where she is on that terrible thing that she volunteered to do. <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> anyway... It's, you know, I don't know, it's just really weird. There's lots of things about what might have been that I really love. And then I stumble on something. I'm like, oh, what did you do? Why did you do that? Oh, that's just, oh. And it can almost be embarrassing. A little, I mean, it's like my face got a little hot. I'm like, oh, look at that dumbness. Look at that dumbness. Look what I did. And it's just, it's really annoying. <laughs> but sometimes when, I, when I'm when i not in the mood to write and there's nothing happening there, um, I avoid my own work because I'll start hating it. Um, it, uh, it. Oh. Yeah, Jillie and I, um, Jillie was talking, I was actually on Jillie's site reading something and I made a comment to her and she talked about um, rereading some of her work and getting, you know, having it twinge her a little bit. And that's kind of where the, where this entire conversation came from. And since Jillie's on the phone, um, I'm going to let her talk about it a little bit and um, uh, I'm going to put her on the spot as soon as I get my fucking mouse to work. Because no radio show is complete without the F word. <laughs> yeah, we need lots of swearing. <laughs> so I'm just um I gotta move my computer. Hold on. Keep talking. <laughs> okay. Um it's you know, it's the thing is is every time you come out of the gate you improve as as a writer. So it's not um that kind of stumbling blocks that I see in my past work that I find horrifying. It is uh, missed opportunities. Um, just, or weird choices. Oh, yes, or, or, or weird choices. It's not so much the craft aspect of the work, because um, I expect my craft to improve. So when I read something that I wrote eight years ago, I expect there to be craft issues there that I've that I've worked out here. I fully expect that. Yeah, I think I don't know what. There were times when I went because I reread everything I've published and most of my major stuff that I'm working, doing a whip on, because um, right after Rough Trade, a lot like what you were talking about last week, my inspiration just went, I don't know, on vacation or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it just uh, fucking fell over. The thing is, is we both, like, blasted through Rough Trade like it was nothing, and then nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like the biggest letdown ever. It was like, oh, I'm done. Wow. And I don't know if you had this issue or if this was contributory at all, but 
My third rough trade, I, you had mentioned in a radio show that you struggled with your Harry Potter story um, with <sighs> a big plot hole. Well, my third, <laughs> my third rough trade story, I had a major plot hole that I ran into. It was more of a conceptual issue that I ran into as I was writing it, and I went, oh, shit. And so I kind of, I kind of went, we'll call this done. Because <laughs> I'm and, fuck it. And something about, I don't know if that experience, I don't know if it was the speed at which we went through it, and then the letdown of that last project or something, but it was like, it wasn't motivation, because I kept trying to write, and when I'm not motivated, I make myself write. Because, you know, they say action precedes motivation, and the more you do it, yeah, the more I mean, motivated it, you are. It wasn't motivation for me either. It was, I had and nothing to give. It wasn't lack of ideas. It was just like there was nothing there. No, I mean, you know, I plotted three different rough trades for November during that time period, but I had nothing to give to an actual story. Yeah. I started several, and I went back and read them all, and it was horrifying because <laughs> <laughs> I went, where did this drivel come from? This is just, what the fuck? Especially this one, because I was in the sentinel mood, and I guess I was – bummed about how that third one did so I started like four more and <laughs> one of them was so bad it was just I reread it and I just sat there horrified going oh my god this is complete drivel and since I had managed to read all my other works and not go to the complete drivel place I'm pretty confident that this is actual crap <laughs> <laughs> well what I think one of my bigger one of my bigger problems um is that I um uh I glutted myself on Harry Potter and then I stumbled on my Harry Potter story in Rough Trade and then also I had um at the same time I was writing a book set in the Harry Potter verse where Harry Potter wasn't my main character um, and I finished that book, and I was really pleased with it. Uh, and I continue to be really pleased with with the way that book came out. Um, which isn't available on my site, and please don't ask about it, because uh, I'm not going to make it available until I've finished the other two books in the series, so just don't even don't even think about it. Um, <laughs> it's it doesn't exist. It's, this isn't me being a, a, a thick tease or a cock tease or anything. It's just I'm really not ready to put it on the site, so it's not going to go up um, anytime soon. Probably not in the next year. Um, but anyways, uh, I I was really satisfied with that book, and then I tried to pick up Sentinels of Atlantis. And nothing. And I have 25 episodes of Sentinels of Atlantis plotted and ready to go. Nothing. Yeah, it's just boo. There's just nothing there. <laughs> and people think I don't have ideas because I had a couple people contact me and with plot bunnies like, maybe this will stir your creativity. I'm like, um, 
That's not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> that really isn't the problem. I plotted my ass off like all summer, but I think, and you saw, and you earlier you kind of hit on it a little bit. Um, that I, uh, when I, I'm a plotter. Um, I I plan extensively for, before I write. Um, pantsing is a nightmare for me, which is why I've never done a surprise pantsing kind of. Um, prompt on Rough Trade because um, it literally is like my kryptonite. Because um, yourself out of your own challenge. <laughs> I would be, yes. Um, so when I am, when I stumble in my plot in the midst of writing, it really throws me off my stride because that doesn't happen to me. I've, I've been writing for a very long time and I haven't stumbled like that on a plot point. And recognized, after having done this particular theme in more than one Harry Potter story, that I had actually had this same fucking plot hole in both stories, including the one I completed last year, and did not notice. And it really threw me off, because I don't do that. I don't have, I mean... I'm a big thinker when it when it comes to the plot, and I think ahead and I ramifications and threads. It all spreads out in front of me. So to have something so glaringly obvious smack dab in the middle of my story, two stories, one of which I completed, was really jarring. It's like my mojo died. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 we've talked before that, you know, especially because the hole wasn't, um, the the, the plot hole was a matter of um, logical consequences. Right. Which is really one of your strengths. I mean, anybody can, somebody can posit something and you can see right through to all the problems with it. Um, I mean, we've had we've had discussions where somebody will say something, and you go, "But but this, this, and this, and this would wouldn't make sense." And it's just like, "Wow, she does that so fast." Because sometimes <laughs> I don't see those. I tend to see those. I see I see some of that stuff in advance. But a lot of times, I get into. I do a lot of like replotting when I'm writing because I'll get into it, and as I'm as the my fingers moving over the keyboard, I go, "Wait a minute." So it's like I have to be knee deep in it to see it for some reason. A lot of it, about 50% of the time, I have to be knee deep in it to see it. So it's just like I, I know that hits you right in your strengths, and you just went, "What the hell? What, what do I do now? Oh my god!" It was it, it was like falling on my face, and um, especially, and this is actually, um, I'm gonna have a little confession here. It was really embarrassing because I've never um, had a stumble like that be so public. Because not only did I do this during the middle of rough trade, I actually had the epiphany about my fucking plot hole on my podcast live for the full <laughs> chat room. And that particular podcast has been listened to three or four thousand fucking times. Just saying. <laughs> right, and I had, you know, my issue, I got hit. My face is kind of hot right now. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing the same thing because I was just thinking that I got hit in the characterization, which I usually. I make this bad assumption that I'm going to get my characterization right. <laughs> 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 and I went, well, I don't know if that's 
what is that? Am I was am I being have I been arrogant to assume I'm just going to step into something? I'm going to get the characterization right, and then I blew it. Um, in public, <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> but uh, you know, for for rough trade, um, it's a good lesson. I mean, I, there are a lot of um. Um, very um, new writers on Rough Trade, and uh, I know there are times when writers on Rough Trade are um, get frustrated with me because I make challenges look easy when they're not, and um, I'm very prolific. And um, I actually had a writer during a Nano when you were writing Emergence. I was writing the unspeakable plot. And you and I were head-to-head on word count. Mm-hmm. I never told you this, but I'll tell you this now. I actually had two writers quit during that rough trade because they were intimidated by the amount of work you and I were producing. Hmm. It, it, it's, it's really uncomfortable to... Um, to have um, that kind of comparison thrown at you unexpectedly because I don't compare myself to any other writer on Rough Trade and I don't expect you to throw out 100K. In fact, the fact of the matter is is that until Jilly came along on Rough Trade, there was nobody on Rough Trade that produced the way I did. Um. And I didn't, and so she was kind of a surprise. I was like, what the hell, where the hell did she come from? And I was like, what the <laughs> hell is this? And my site got this huge rush of um, viewers, right? And I'm like, who the hell, what, what's going on? And I wasn't reading her story, because I don't normally read NCIS. And um, I was like, what the hell is this? And Lady Hunter goes, you need to go over there and see that shit. You won't even believe it. And so I did go over there and see that shit, and I didn't believe it. And it was, you know, really good, obviously. I mean, all of you have read um, Emergence, and if you haven't, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, But uh, it was just mind-boggling. And she kept up with me, and that was really surprising to be honest, because I don't have that experience often. And a lot of writers on Rough Trade uh, find challenge with writers who are prolific intimidating. And I've worked really hard to to create an environment on RT where um, writers of all levels can kind of um, come together. And I don't want you to feel like you need to compare yourself to to me or to Jilly or to Lady Holder or to anybody else on the site um, in that respect. Uh, So in a way, while it was super embarrassing to fall on my face in the middle of rough trade for everybody to see, um, I also think that it was good because it um, maybe hopefully (laughs) it kind of humanized me to other writers on Rough Trade or writers who haven't participated in Rough Trade because they find the environment intimidating. So hopefully watching me fail will make you feel better next time you don't do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> did, did, that, did that make any sense? 
I hope so. It did to me. I mean, <laughs> I think it's funny because I think people do, even I do comparisons. You know, I don't, um, and that, it sounded weird just the way I phrased it, but I mean, pe- there are people who think that I don't, like, compare myself in any way. To, and I try actually not to compare myself to other writers. But, I, you know, we have the Rough Trade group um, to talk about our experience going through the process and get help and stuff. And I see people who, you know, put up 1,500 words or something talking about, well, I managed to get some writing time in, you know, and and they worked 10 hours and came home and fed their family and then took the few moments that they had to themselves to sit down and bang out 1,500 words. And and that's a great I, accomplishment. I have, I have so much, much admiration for the people who do that, and I do that comparison thing. I think that's the comparison I do where I find myself actually kind of liking where I go, you know, if I had that day, I don't think that I would have got anything written. I like to think that, you know, my writing is really important, but sometimes just falling on my face in bed is more important. <laughs> or curling up with a whole entire bottle of tequila, either way, you know. <laughs> Neither of which are really conducive to getting any writing done. So when I see people um, in the rough trade group, because we don't, you know, you don't, nobody nobody owes their readers any kind of excuse, but... When people come into the writers' group, sometimes they talk about the challenges they're having and um, just to kind of get that off their chest. And some of the challenges people write around, we've had people who were bedridden typing it out two fingers on their iPad. And the person who gave birth the first part of July and still came back and wrote. Came back and wrote. Baby came three weeks early. That woman was still writing. She and won her trade to... right then. She gave birth, got up, started writing. She wins. She won rough trade for July. She did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you have a baby and then you get out, you baby, especially three weeks early, so you're completely not prepared, and then you come back home from the hospital and you sit down and start banging out a story, I, I got nothing but admiration for you, and this is where I'm sitting there going, I couldn't do it. <laughs> no, nope, do I'm it. done. <laughs> no, I mean, when we had the, when we had the writer banging it out on her iPad, two fingers, you know, having to write on the Rough Trade site because she didn't have access to anything else. Um, I was just like, uh, I'd be like, see y'all later. <laughs> see you <laughs> next, sorry, dude. See you next trip out. when I can when I can sit up straight. I'll <laughs> I'll see you another challenge. So these people who um, participate in Rough Trade, and you know, I hope that anybody who has written around challenges and comes and participates anyway does not get frustrated um, by someone else's word count. Because that's just, you know, it, it, I have so much admiration for you, um, for everything you've gone, for, which, for, for putting your craft and trying to get better and do this thing around major obstacles. Um, you know, I really, because I'm one of the people who, um, as long as I don't have this horrible inspiration issue, um, if I have some sort of physical impediment, I actually write a ton. <laughs> Who are you talking first, to? I'm yeah, I know you took writing my, two books while I got broke rough, my feet. I was in a I was in a leg splint for the first two first two rough trades. It was two different injuries that were back to back. So my first two rough trades, which was emergence and the journey home, um, I was immobilized. We had to rearrange my living room so that I could have my my because I was like I can't do this from bed again. And so for the second one, um, we rearranged things. So my, my, um, instead of my desk being against the wall, it was away from the wall so my leg could stick out the back. <laughs> Propped up on a footstool because so, I had this big old, you know, ankle-hip brace on. And um, 
you know, I mean, actually, I'm really productive when I'm stuck. <laughs> um, so, you know, I but of all those other challenges, you know, a ba- having a baby, there's no way. <laughs> I'd be like, I got uh-uh. baby diapers. I'm not writing anything. <laughs> dude, I'm done. <laughs> like, dude, so sorry. <laughs> Shit happened, literally. <laughs> Just, uh, nothing, I have nothing left to give. But also, I would like to point out, um, without getting too personal about either one of our circumstances, um, <coughs> I don't leave my house to work. Um. I write, eight and ten, um, I write between 8 and 10 hours a day. So please don't ever compare your word count to mine if you work a full-time job <laughs> outside of your house. Then you come home and you feed the man, you feed the dogs, and you feed the kids, and you go to the neighbor's house or, or whatever you do, or you go see your parents, and then you come home and you write a 1,000 words. If I had your life, I wouldn't be writing a 1,000 words at the end of the day, just, just, like, just like Jilly said. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, somebody asked in the chat room if I had a head injury for one. Yes, that was Nano 2014, <laughs> and um, I only got like 20,000 words because I'm not. I mean, it wasn't like it was just like it wasn't like a concussion. I had traumatic brain injury, and I, yeah, I don't remember that month. <laughs> and that's that alien story that I got that I periodically go back and read sometimes, and I go, Wow, this like, is I don't even familiar. know what the hell this is. I don't even what the <laughs> fuck happened here. You know, yeah, I have one of those that I wrote when I had a migraine, and to this day, I'm not certain I wrote it. That's why it's not up on my site. Although several of my readers have read it, and they're pretty convinced that it is my work. Um, and it does have my rhythm. I have a rhythm in my work that I see. And it has my rhythm. But since I literally have no memory of writing it, I'm never posting it anywhere because I, I can't. I can't post it because I don't feel like it's mine. <laughs> Well, with mine, I at least have the comfort that people read it on Rough Trade. So they (laughs) go, oh, yeah, I remember when you wrote that on Rough Trade. It's like, okay, good. Somebody remembers this story. Because I just – and I remember the plot. My plot notes, I remember. So I go back and look at my plot notes, and I go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the actual – what was actually written is just like, wow. Harry took Voldemort sold to the breakfast table. I don't understand. (laughs) About my um, about the story that I wrote that I don't remember is that um, Rodney is being held prisoner and he's being held in isolation. Um, and um, there's a point where he has a choice between basically going crazy or destroying the whole planet. <laughs> and of course, he picks destroying the whole planet. It isn't finished. Um, and um, it just—it's uh, mine, but it's not mine. I—I I can't. No, <laughs> it's just I can't. It's just—it's not—it's not ever going to happen. I think that I think that if I'm ever operating under an impairment again, I need to like make notes. This is Jilly. I really wrote this story just in case <laughs> I forget all about it later. <laughs> Put your name on the top of each page, like when you were little. <laughs> and if there's anything really tiny, anything really weird in here, I'm blaming it on the the head injury, the medication, the migraine, whichever it was. It's not my <laughs> fault. <laughs> I did write nine thousand words yesterday. Wow, that's on, incredible. Thanks. It was out of the blue. I had um, I had read 
um, Ties That Bind, and I picked up The North Star, which is um, the next installment for Ties That Bind. And you'll notice I've stopped calling it the final installment of Ties That Bind, because I felt like that was binding me up in some weird um, jail. Like I have to find the end right here. Right, and I, and the thing is, is my plot, I have much more plot than I have room in the story for it to really work, and also because I gave myself room to, I replotted. <laughs> <laughs> and when you give yourself fun to replot, you, you replot, that's what I do anyway. Um, so I gave myself permission to replot and expand a little bit. Um, anyways, I picked up the North Star, and um, I was reading. I got all the way to the part where I finished reading, and I started writing. And I wrote 9,000 words. Damn, that's awesome. Then it went away. That's really, that must have been really exciting. <laughs> it was. I mean, the thing is, is I don't even remember deciding to write. It just kind of, you, you ever get one of those, like there's like a, every writer has a zone, that when they get into it, it's like a, you, you don't even know how much time has passed. Mm-hmm. But I also have something called a super zone where I'm practically writing on autopilot. Is that weird? No, I've had, I've occasionally had writing time where I get to a point in the story where there's just everything. It's like it's usually not the beginning where I'm trying to set stuff up, and I'm paying a lot more attention to craft at the beginning. And it's usually not the end, or it's definitely not action scenes. <laughs> but there's just sometimes I hit something that I've really been excited about in the story, and when it's and all of a sudden I'll take a break and I'll go and I'll go back and read it, and I don't even remember writing it. It's just like it's right. just, and it came it came out exactly the way I envisioned it. It's almost more like I was in my imagination than I was paying attention to the word processor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I call that it's actually super kind of, zone. And it, I, it's I don't actually get there really often. cool. Yeah. So I was in a super it's zone like a yesterday. Regular zone, but where, with a cape, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a cape. <laughs> there was a cape, but I didn't leave my house, so I was safe. I wouldn't safe. wear a cape capes, outside capes the house. Are, capes are safe at the computer as long as <laughs> the computer isn't, you know. Moving. But no, I mean, it was a super zone, and um, the last time I had a really big super zone was in the middle of writing um, Darkly Loyal. Um, it was with my rough trade last year, uh, my, my nano project. I was writing um, when my husband left for work, and I was writing when my husband came home from work, and I had not left my computer since he left the house. I wrote for nine solid hours. Without food or tea or coffee or anything. And I was like, what? (laughs) Why are you home so early? And he's like, I've been gone nine hours. (laughs) And I was like, oh. And then then you have the realization, like, oh, my God, I have to pee. (laughs) I had to pee so bad. It was like instant pee. I had to pee so bad. But, yeah, so, um, yeah. That happened, and I was like, wow. You know, so. I've been plotting um, my November story. I'm on my, I don't know, fourth or fifth plot. <laughs> I'm on my third. Um, and this one's going to, this one, well, this one's definitely going to get written. I'm just not certain it's going to get written for November because it's like the only thing that I find inspirational right now. So 
I have may have to make a choice about do I want to write any something I'm inspired by and then come up with something else for November or try and hold off. Because <laughs> every time I sit down to make notes about it, I, I, I have to fight not writing. So I either have to put it down or just dive into it, one or the other. <laughs> I don't well, know, do I don't know which that. way it's going to go yet. You do have huh? a couple stories that you're working on already, though. You know, you have Oh, your... I've got so many I'm working on right now. Um, I'm going to give you tiny ones that I read. Yeah. the Those two um, are both getting closer to finish. I kind of... Um, um, the one, the one I was really the most excited about, which was the my psychic AU intuitive, which was supposed to be for the Extreme Big Bang, and I, I, I pulled out of that because, um, sort of, really at the last minute, because the story went a much darker direction than I was expecting, and this was this is a case of where I didn't think through the consequences until I was knee deep in them, and then I went, oh, this is actually really ugly, um, and I didn't, and I felt like it was true to the story, like the direction I had gone is was realistic. Mm-hmm. But it had it had greater implication, had greater consequences than I had plotted. So I replotted the replotted the rest of the story to. Um, but as a result, this, the the realism, what was realistic for the world I had created, was vaguely uncomfortable for me. And so I should I apologize of, because I was your alpha reader on that one. <laughs> no, you should not. Well, the thing is, I knew there was a problem. I knew there was a problem, and um, so I, that's one of the reasons why I asked you to read that one. And um, and you saw the same things I did. And I didn't think it was. And you know, I didn't think I had made an unrealistic um, decision about how the government would would abuse. Um, no, no, that was psychic. very. If That's when they very realistic. Up. So it's just it's just a it's just a quirk of my writing um, is that I have to be in really the right headspace to write angsty stuff. So the story went it was it was I actually had a really big super zone on that story because of like 40k of, of what I had written I think I was like at 65k where I left off came out super fast. It was just like boom. It was like this was my vision and then it got to the consequences of it and I went. I, this is really uncomfortable. I'm gonna have to get into. A, I'm gonna have to wait for a zone where I am just prepared to deal with ugliness, and then I'll get back to this one. And then I started one um, for the NCIS Big Bang, and it's. Um, I think it's finally going better, but um, it actually the bones of it is something I started back in I don't know, April or May, and um, it. Um, it's a Derek Tony, Derek Morgan Tony DeNozzo fix. So, it, Yay. Um, it had some. Um, it also had some problems, um, and uh, I, I think I kind of sort you. You helped me also read that one too. So I kind of I did, sorted yeah. out what was going on with that, and um, um, that one is finally you know cruising along. But the thing is, I'm so um, I'm so checked out of my inspiration right now that. I feel like I'm writing by skill and not by inspiration, if that makes sense. It does, and that can be a really uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, because it feels almost more like, um, I don't, I wouldn't call it, it's not phoning it in, because phoning it in is something completely different to me. That, to me, that's like I don't care, and I'll just, you know, I can bang out, like, I can bang out, you know, a 10K story doesn't mean anything to me, and to me, that's phoning it in. This is more like, okay, I need this scene now, and 
the craft says to do it this way, so I'm going to do it that way. You know, it's just, it's like writing to your skill set instead of to your creativity. And it's, I don't know, it's sort of like a painter who can, who knows how to paint something and they can go and bang out a painting because they know how to, they know how to work with brushes and put paint on a canvas, but it doesn't mean that it was something that they were terribly inspired by. So, um, I'm hoping that before the – I'm going to get the rough draft out on time, and I'm hoping before the actual due date that my inspiration um, is, is, you know, dialed in enough that I can edit it to feel like it's something that I would have written. When I write sense. on spec, I do that. Well, when I write on spec, um, I tend to – because um, <clears throat> when you're writing on proposal as a professional – um, you've, you've, you've already sold it. And a lot of times you've already cashed the check and <laughs> you've, you've, you've given them this detailed synopsis and it becomes more like paint by numbers. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's exactly like that. It's like, and I think if I wasn't, if I was a pantser, I'd be stuck because there's no way I could pant something right now. Um, but because I've got a plot that existed before my inspiration, um, you know, was temporarily memorialized at the end of Rough Trade, um, it was um, I could just execute, you know, on on the plan, and um, it, it's it's a little uncomfortable. It's not the way where I'd want to be, but I think sometimes that's just the way. You know, I, I do want to write original fiction, so I know, I have to recognize that it's a skill I have to be able to have. But uh, yeah, for a pairing, I was so excited about. I'm a little disappointed that I feel like I'm kind of, um, like you said, yeah. writing to spec here. I'm writing to my my own specification. You know, it's like, well, here's the plan. I'm going to execute it. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it definitely is a yada, yada, yada kind of moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's really uncomfortable when um, you normally come from a very creative place. Mm-hmm. Um, when I wrote, um, God, I don't want to talk about it because you guys will think I'm being a, a cock tease, but uh, I had a really easy time writing the first book in my in my new series. Um and I mean, it just it just kind of flowed right out of me um, very easily. And um, um, even my second draft went really well. Um, I had a little, I had a few issues, um, which I, I I'm pretty sure I've even gotten my second draft, and I'm not quite ready for a beta yet. But uh, and it's. It was very easy to write. And so when I came out the other end of it, nothing was easy. And it was like, oh, this is really, I'm deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm really deeply uncomfortable. And it was, it was kind of hard, you know, it was just, it was hard to, to, to get my head around, um, head around it. And what it might, uh, boil down to is kind of, sometimes my sister my sister has several kids um sometimes she'll call me and she say you know what we need to have lunch because i need adult conversation <laughs> i spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in the harry potter fandom 
And I think I need some adult conversation. <laughs> Does that make any well, also, sense? I, I mean, mean I, don't, like, I, I don't want to, like, say something out of turn, but also, if, if let's say you were saturated on Harry Potter, I wonder if, because um, this, this was one of your plot drifts, um, I wonder yeah, if you were, you were inspired by this idea so much because it was um, an adult point of view. It was not... If you weren't writing Harry and Hermione or Harry and Draco or, or the trio. You weren't, you, weren't, you weren't writing the youngsters. Um, no, I, um, I wrote the story almost entirely from James Potter's point of view. Just, you know, just, just, just to get that out there. Yeah, so. And all of the characters, the primary, the kids are kids in this story, so the primary characters are, are, are all grown-ups. And as I, 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 don't, I, don't, I think you mentioned at some point that you were going to change gears for the, for the next book. Mm-hmm. So... You know, which would be back to exactly the kids. Exactly, the adult conversation. <laughs> I need adult conversation, which I think is exactly why um, I gravitated back towards Stargate, which is is and always will be my first love in fandom um, as an adult. But you know, I did have some some meanderings with Star Trek and um, and Harry Potter when I was very young. Um, <clears throat> Um, because the bones of soulmate bond happened, um, God, two decades ago, basically. I mean, 18, I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a long time. Um, <clears throat> probably around the time the third book came out, whenever the hell that was. Shortly after I read The Prisoner of Azkaban, I started Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. So whenever the hell that book came out, about three months after that is when I started Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. And then I had to do that a lot of rewrites, obviously. I did a lot of rewrites, obviously, going into putting it on my site because um, there were no... Um, how he had defeated Voldemort originally bore no resemblance to what you guys got when I finally published it because there were no Deathly Hallows, there were no Horcruxes, or, there was none of that. I didn't know what that none was. None of us saw that shit coming. No, no, that, no. No. Anyways, um, so in the in the current um, story that I'm working on, I'm trying to finish this week. Actually, um, I've been having a lot easier time. The whole setup of the story is in is in Tony's point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, mostly there's a couple shifts out of it, but mostly it's Tony's point of view and about what's going on with him. And I actually, when I switch into Derek's point of view, it's like all of a sudden the writing smooths out and it feels more creative. And I feel really comfortable again. And he's new. I, he's like, new. Also, I know. I'm, he's new. And I also, I think that there's like this little, like, little harboring. Like I fell down on my characterization of Tony in the last thing I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I went, I don't, I'm, like, I'm like holding a grudge about it. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm like, I don't know. There also could be a little bit of like a, you know, I don't want to screw it up again kind of thing going on. I don't want to well, make that same mistake. It also could be um, that you, um, I don't have to put this up without insulting the rest of the NCIS fandom, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. You hold a grudge against NCIS writers who write Tony a certain way. Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> then 
you go into the Rough Trade Challenge and you don't meet your own expectations for Tony's character. And it created a a little wiggle. Cognitive dissonance? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I loved what I did with him because I did wrote him a little different in Primus. And I actually really enjoyed that that little twist on him. I enjoyed it, too. I, I really liked Primus the most. Yeah, it was my favorite, too. Um, and then I kind of just, you know, I just... My character motivation, my character, my, my his, his 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 the whole but his it wasn't that it was it wasn't that it was bad it was just my and it, it's just my my plot for where he was going would have been so bizarre um, for his character he would have had to be incredibly <laughs> broken this is a, he he would have had to have been incredibly broken for my original plot to work. And I don't write Tony that way. I don't write him horribly broken. You resent Tony being written. I resent horribly way. broken Tony. And I was, <laughs> I, I felt, I was like, did I catch this? <laughs> Have I read I too much broken, you know, horribly broken Tony that it's like contagious? It's like, hey, you know, like headlights he or something. Burst, he didn't burst into tears, so no, I think you're okay. <laughs> he didn't throw office supplies. I have I a stopped. big meltdown in the middle, huh? That's because I stopped. I didn't. I saw it coming. <laughs> I, I saw. I saw horribly broken Tony coming, and I went, "Oh, guess what? Everybody's story's finished, <laughs> and we're done." Boom. <laughs> End of story. Um, <laughs> but I think that's why I'm so looking forward to the November story that I have that I'm working on. And why I threw my last two plots out is because Tony was just a little too um, broken in them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I should say he was a little bit too emotionally vulnerable, which I usually have no problem with. But I just am like taking this broken thing. I'm I'm like holding such a grudge against it that I I couldn't deal with those plots because it was just, just, you know, just skirting that line too much. So I just – I went – I went to this, you know, whole different place of like a Tony who's going to take over the world kind of thing. You know, he's a complete, um, completely different from how I've ever written him. Because it's a, but it's a complete AU. I can do whatever I want, and I, and I mean that in a kind of a literal way. He's, he's worked his whole life on this plot to take over. Um, <laughs> now I'm great picturing work. Michael Weatherly with a fucking cape on. I have to put myself <laughs> on hold for a bit because my husky, you can't hear him. But he's howling, and he's in the house. So <laughs> I'll be back shortly. Continue. Okay. So I'm um so for 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 November I'm planning to do this um story. So it's going to be a shifter story, but just werewolves, and there'll be like seven of the seven great werewolf nations, and the oldest each each nation's probably about a million people, and the oldest of them is floundering um, in terms of leadership, and so Tony's whole life is devoted to his takeover plan of this oldest of the werewolf nations. So um, he's going to be very um, calculating. And a little harder than I've, I think I've ever written him before, and it's something that I'm really looking forward to that different, um, the different approach to him. But a lot of that came out of the decision I think to write him that way, 
Because I, I don't want to make it seem like I don't write and I have a problem with writing Tony in an emotionally vulnerable place because I wrote him um, emotionally vulnerable in, um, in several stories, but I just don't write him broken. And the, the, like I said, the plot I had in July would have led to broken Tony. And so all of a sudden I just did this reversal where I wanted to go so far away, completely the opposite away from anything emotionally vulnerable, that it kind of stalled out a lot of my um, stories and process because my own head is um, – um, I don't know. I guess I just got really disappointed in uh, the, fail- the failure of plotting and characterization that I made in, in July, and I'm just trying to kind of get my head around it. Um, and it's having an impact on on the decisions I make about what I'm working on today and what I plan to work on in the future. So um, from out of so I can kind of connect what I'm the way I'm going to write him in um, November and what that plot was um, to the 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 to what I felt like was my flop in, in July. And yes, yeah, somebody asked if that was the one with Lucifer and yeah, it was the one with Lucifer. And I, I was I was happy with what that first ten K, how it popped out. But if I'd stuck to my plot, it didn't make sense. And um I actually really enjoyed writing Lucifer. Um probably much more than I probably should admit. It was actually a lot of fun. But um <laughs> Where that story was going to go, if I'd stuck to the plot, would have just been horrible. So I think I'm kind of like in this overreaction mode where I'm steering really far clear of anything remotely um, approaching the mistake I almost made. <laughs> and and it's, No it's, office supplies shall be thrown. No office, and no tantrums, um, no screaming, no overshares. Um you know, I it's just yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of in grudge mode a little bit and it's coming out in the in and even in my the way I'm plotting for so it's probably why that story's kind of really grabbed my attention is because it's so different. He's so calculating and he's you know, he said he's devoted his whole life to this um sort of really sneaky takeover, um of this um this werewolf nation, and he's doing it kind of from a, really an underdog position, and it's just it's going to be a really different look at him for me, and so I think that that's why when I start to make notes about it, that I go, oh, well, that, that's the Tony I really want to be writing. So, um, based on based on that, I probably should get back to the Primus verse. Is probably what I should be working on because that's more consistent with the, the Tony I'm comfortable writing right now, but. Um, the next up in the Primus verse is not, um, yeah, I totally missed that that underdog pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody asked if that's the usual characterization for him in Sick. Um, it, you know, it's not. Um, I wouldn't know that. I'd say it's just. I would almost call it like a kink in part of the fandom. That he is um, very emotional, whiny very fragile, very whiny. Um, he kind of can't handle anything. Um, whiny bitch syndrome. <laughs> it is. It's totally whiny bitch syndrome. And 
or and even and even to the completely you know in and the extreme of that is the completely broken like you know you don't invite him to dinner and he's going to you know cry cry in the middle of the quit, quit his job and, and on Balboa move to, move to Alaska um <laughs> and work for a coffee shop because he can't <laughs> deal with it and I, it's it's so contrary to his character on the show that it just that just drives me absolute batshit insane. And uh, I, you know, everybody has the right to write whatever the hell they want, but um, oh yeah, mm. I, I think Blair's the original whiny bitch. Oh um, yeah, totally. Not canon Blair. Um, and not the Blair I write, not the Blair I prefer to read. But there's a lot of Sentinel fix where Blair is just. A whiny bitch. <laughs> There's just no other way to put it. It's really, it's really off-putting. You know, it's, 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 it's so. Mm. Exactly. They're making them into little girl stereotype. The stereotype of little girls, and it says uh, most little girls I know don't behave like that, but it is the stereotype of little girls. Is it's it that little behave? what was that little bitch's name on Little House on the Prairie? Nellie? Nellie, yeah. The, no, except the adopted except one the, after her. Oh she Nancy. She was worse. Nancy. Nancy. Oh Nancy. Nancy was, was twice was, as bad as Nellie ever wanted to be. Yes, and Nancy and Nancy did cry a lot. Whereas Nellie never almost never cried. Um Oh yeah, that it it is it's it is just and it, Blair was really the original with that the whole horrible. I mean, there's always some. Um, I've been in a Kirk Spock mood lately, so I've been reading a lot of Kirk Spock, and um, it invades every fandom. The whiny girl, the whiny bitch thing, it invades every fandom, and it, the designated whiny bitch is apparently Jim Kirk in the Kirk Spock um, <sighs> fandom. If Which he's not like, a whiny bitch, he's a whore. Now, granted, like, well, whore I can I can understand better because at least in the original series, Kirk was a little bit of a man whore. <laughs> One of the but, worst things I see coming out of the Star Trek fandom is fix where Jim cheats on Spock, but he's not actually no. cheated. He's been sexually assaulted, and Spock <gasps> doesn't know it. Do they even Ew. fucking know how a Vulcan bonds? Do they understand that Spock would know immediately that his partner, his bond mate, was in serious trouble? And that he Uh-oh. would not confuse consensual sex with rape? Oh, it... Ugh. And, of course, the whole ship takes Spock's side, and Jim gets thrown off the ship, and he has to make his way, poor Jim, and sometimes he's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 absolutely terrible when they – it's Beth Kirk, of all people, to be the designated whiny bitch. It's like yeah, – and the designated whiny bitch in Supernatural is Dean, which, again, it's like they take the strongest character on the show – and make them the whiny bitch, and I do not understand it. It drives me up the wall. Oh, Tim, I wish that was true, but it's not. 
Jim Kurt's been the whiny bitch in Star Trek for, since the 70s. Yeah. It's not a new thing. Because when I, I'm, and the first time I read Kurt Spock was on paper, like this dog ear thing. And, a fanzine. Um, <laughs> Came but, in the mail. You know, these, these things existed before, you know, before people had, really had the, um, the ease of what we have today. And so people, I mean, I, I knew this lady who had, from from back, just just passed around Kirk's box last. She had like a full file cabinet of it. Because it was from before the internet was really prevalent. And Who's the whiny bitch in HP? I, I think it greatly depends on um, the writer. Most of the time it's Harry. Um, yeah, most of the time it is. But sometimes it's Draco, which is really interesting. <laughs> but yeah. most of the time it's Harry. And when they're you know, not, we're not talking about, not talking whiny, about whiny bashing even. because, like, the designated bashing, the the whiny person who's bashed in the NCIS is McGee, right? But and like the and whiny Ron person and who's bashed, in, it's Ron. But we're talking about we're talking about a main character who you're supposed to who's supposed to be empathizing with. You're supposed to, you know, this this is your antagonist, your protagonist. And your protagonist, when your protagonist is the whiny bitch, it, yeah, it's usually Harry or Draco. And they're throwing a big fit, and if they're not the ones throwing a big fit, um, the worst trope in Harry Potter is so much horrific child abuse that he should be dead. Literally yeah. physically dead. And sometimes, and the bizarre thing, and I gotta, this is just, i got to say something to... <clears throat> I'm not going to be very specific because there's somebody going to go find this thing on LiveJournal and I'll just never hear the end of it. But people go and they look for – like I, I really appreciate Fix Finder sites because sometimes you read something and you got like one scene stuck in your head and you just want – you can't find the story that's got that one scene. So I really appreciate people who, who, who respond to stuff on Fix Finder sites. But I have never seen a fandom like Harry Potter where people look for the story – by some horrible abuse scene. Like the scene that stuck out in their head is some hideous abuse. And I'm like, whoa. I don't, I don't, that, that is so far, just, just reading what you're looking for without having read the story, like totally upsets me. And it's just, it's like, why is that what someone's seeking? Is that horrible? They can't remember anything else about this. They can't remember, and they actually said they remember that the story. Uh, but I remember this horrible, hideous abuse scene. And apparently, <laughs> because of that horrible, hideous abuse scene, I want to read this thing again. I don't get it. One of the first things I saw on a Fix Finder site that really freaked me out was somebody. This was, got it, a decade ago. Um, and I'm not going to tell the fandom. Um, looking for an explicit rape story, mm-hmm. a particular one. Mm hmm. And I was like, why are you looking like, for that? And, and but the worst... Say, I saw, they'll say that's the all I remember is this rape scene. Are the people who go on the genre finder version of it and specifically ask for stories with explicit rape. They don't have one in particular mind. They, they want to read them all. Oh, I just... I, I, mm, no, no, I don't understand. And they're looking for, it's like this designated victim. And so either either you have somebody who is just emotionally torn up and the world is shit on them for some reason, or somebody is just being hurt over and over and over again. And 
I really don't like that those tropes. I really don't, and I want some of them. It's not, sometimes it's not. It's beyond not like. It's kind of like I have a really hard time. I have to sit on my hands. <laughs> I don't like, say anything. I'm judging you. I'm judging you so hard. You terrible, creepy person. How dare you? My judgy but face you- is on, and it may get stuck like this if I don't get off this website right now. My biggest issue with AO3 is um, the pedophilia. Uh, um, even fanfiction.net doesn't explicitly allow pedophilia. Yeah, it gets in there, but it's not because it's allowed within the rules. The, the, the writer isn't paying attention to the rules. But there is a... The amount of pedophilia and don't call it chan i know that's the fandom name for it i know that's a polite way of saying it um but it's pedophilia so don't call it fucking chan okay it's pedophilia and that is one reason why i can't imagine posting my own work on ao3 because i don't want to be on the same site with pedophilia now my russian translator for tangled destinies is posting over there because it gives us both control, but I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't want. I, I, I don't want to be associated with it. I stopped donating to AO3 when I found out they allowed pedophilia on their site. I don't. That's one of their decisions. I don't understand. The only time I've ever, um, actually, I've reported abuse to AO3 twice. Once was um, over surprise. Um, somebody's having sex with a four-year-old. And I, I sent um, an abuse report and was told that it wasn't against the rules. And the other time was when somebody's summary, which you can't avoid the summary. You're scrolling down past shit, and it's the summary. It had an explicit child con- rape in it? No, it, was, it wasn't a child rape, but it was, it was a graphic rape scene was the summary. And I reported this, you know, it was, I said it was abuse because, I mean, it's like you can't avoid this, you know. Um, and you know, and their and their response was cause I actually went back and forth with them a little bit about it. And their response was is that because you could avoid it if rape is a problem for you by just excluding the rape tag, and you wouldn't have gotten this story. That as long as the person used the archive yeah. warning, that they didn't. And I said, people you know, they're not required is, to warn for rape, though. They're not required to warn for rape. So, and you know, and my, and the thing is. People will tag rape in a story when it's like, like I I will tag for it um, and I'll explain. Like when I have them working on cases where somebody's been raped, I still tag that there is rape as part of case files in the story. Um, And because I don't want people to be surprised by the content of their investigations and go, that was really upsetting. so when you start excluding, and the thing is, the tag wranglers on AO3, if I, if I actually, if let's say I create an original tag called rape as part of case fic, um, rape, rape as part of casework or something like that, um, the tag wranglers will wrangle that up to the master tag of rape. So if you exclude rape, you then are excluding anything that has been tag wrangled underneath rape. Mm-hmm. So it's such an imperfect system that the answer from them, that the solution for me was to exclude all fics that have rape in them. Well, no, that just means that I 
some of my own work, so then I'm going to drop off. Thank you very much. Um, so it was just, it was very, um, it was very upsetting to deal with them on what I thought were some really clear cut. Um, I mean, I kind of understand on the one side, like intellectually, they wanted a completely free of censorship archive. I get it. And I'm not even like, um, I'm, I'm not bashing AO3 for it. I'm just not going to support it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult because I can, like I said, I can understand the the sort of intellectual point that they were making when they started the archive, but I think I'd have still drawn the line at you know somewhere. At pedophilia. The line somewhere, I'd have said something something that is actually criminal. You know, oh you're hey, you can't have adults criminal. fucking children. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's, it's, like, it's a really big issue for me. That, and, that doesn't uh, seem I, like it, that doesn't seem like it's such a, an unreasonable line to draw. I mean, I don't even like. I wouldn't even complain about the bestiality. I don't appreciate it. And I did read that one. And I was so stupid curious one night. I did read that one about Owen and and the Velociraptor. I couldn't help myself. I got all the way to the sex scene. I went, oh, the dinosaur's on top, and I closed it. <laughs> Who was on top? The dinosaur. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, that's I kind of knew it better. was coming that's because I was fantasized about it. I kind of knew it was coming, and then when it actually happened, I was like, "Oh no, I can't read it." <laughs> I couldn't. Re- I couldn't read it either way. But I have to say that from my, for just uh, it's a very fine line, but. You're actually pretty clear um, that the dinosaur is getting something out of it, so it's slightly better. <laughs> right, right, because the dinosaur is the one that initiated. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's just, I, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, it's, but I, you know, as, as much as I don't appreciate bestiality, um, I, I don't even have it against the rules on rough trade because, um, okay, do what you want there, but just don't fuck children. I mean, it's just, it's. Right. It's like it's the same thing with incest. I'm not going to read it. But as long as they're both adults and, and you're warning for it, it fine. Whatever. Get your freaky brother brother thing on. The only thing, thing on. that I have a problem to when it comes to like um you know, and sex back there is is I don't even outlaw rape on rough trade. I just expect you to warn for it. Um is writers who think they shouldn't warn for incest or or rape or um, extremely graphic violence or because it will ruin their plot. I'm sorry, but if you're depending on horrifying your reader as part of your plot, you're a shit writer. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, just, it's the same rash people think that they can't disclose the pairing, right? It's like, well, I can't disclose the pairing because it'll ruin my story. That's <laughs> bullshit, and you're a shitty what writer. What the fuck ever. Sorry. Because no, no, we get I'm to, sorry. <laughs> we get to the point where there's, you know, what if, I mean, some pairings some people find really appalling. You know? I mean, there are some pairings that I find, that for some reason, I can't, I can't always logically explain why, but there are some pairings that I find so objectionable that I think I'd rather sit down and read an incest fic. <laughs> I, I would honestly read Harry Lily before I would read Harry Jenny. <laughs> I, I, I 
wouldn't read Harry Lily, but if I had a choice between the two, I'd pick the actual incest over the pseudo incest. At least Lily was smart. Yeah. And brave. And actually loved Harry for Harry and not because he was famous. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's terrible. I just actually justify. That's terrible. Oh my god! Look what that's driven me to. Look. Well, it's, it's like degrees degrees of horrible. What you know? It's like people. It's like people don't don't understand. Like I would rather read the. I I, I would never read um, <laughs> that that pedoph- pedophilia, but. If somebody said, you're going to have to read one of these stories, I'd be like, I'm all about that Owen Blue thing. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't Blue, Blue was a girl. This was a male velociraptor on the the second, the the other island, the, the, the Feral Island. Oh, the one, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'd still be like, let's, let's bring it on. I, I, we can, we can have, anything's better than pedophilia. And, and we just got to, degre- we get to the point where we're so horrified by some of the stuff that's out there that we do start doing this degrees of horrible. What um, I would read first. <laughs> <laughs> what I would Literally the with. lesser of the two evils. Um, yes. I wouldn't read Harry Snape for love or money. I would okay. So here's we go for the lesser of evils. I would read Harry Snape before I would read um, Harry Sirius because um, I'm the exact opposite. I would read Harry Sirius first because um, Harry Sirius was way too close to incest for me. Um, it is. I just can't deal. But Harry Snape is closer to rape to me. Uh, yeah, it's like those are those are so close to being for me to being equal that it would be. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's terrible. Even in, I, I wouldn't want to read either one of them, but if I had to read one, it would be Harry Sirius, because Sirius loves Harry. Um, and it, it does go back to that. And Snape is evil. Yeah, I mean, you'd have he to... He is a you'd have terrible to really, person. You'd have to rewrite Snape's history all, back, all the way back to Hogwarts to make him... Tolerable. Remotely redeemable. And if he's redeemed he's that much, why would he want to have sex with somebody young enough to be his child? That's just, ew. Disgusting. He's abusive. He's an abusive, terrible, vicious character who even in the last moments of his life could not see Harry for who Harry was. Harry was either a substitute for James or in the very last moments of his life, a substitute for Lily, which makes Harry Snape as a pairing, disgusting. And well, in, in the last moments of his life, he his last action was to manipulate Harry into death. Exactly right. Oh, but he's such a hero. Okay. He's the bravest man I've ever known. I mean, oh my God! Don't miss that was that my first clue that Harry had been potioned up to his eyeballs. Jeez, that is why I cut the fucking epilogue out of my book. I saw the Ginny thing coming, okay? I was prepared for that, but I was not prepared for Albus Severus, okay? No. <laughs> just, that poor that was child. That too far, Joanne. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I, I, I did cut the epilogue out of my book, and I burned it. 
I'm not even kidding. I'm tempted. I, I never, I've, I've heard you say that, and I've never considered it. But there's something sort of tempting about just having that ritual moment. You know, go out with the barbecue and slice out the the last half of the that last not the half the last part of the book and have a ritual burning. Harry as Snape's son is a special level of hell for me because it implies that Lily Potter, a muggle-born, or she might have been Lily Evans if, you know, in that particular case, um, slept with a Death Eater. Which is probably literally no different than a nun sleeping with the devil. that Snape was willing. He he became a Death Eater of his own free will. He was a Death Eater. Mm-hmm. And some of those, um, um, some of the, the Harry um, Snape um, where Harry, Snape is Harry's father's stories. Harry, they don't find out about until Harry's in, like, fifth, sixth, seventh year, late in his Hogwarts um, attendance. And and they, um, Long and it's after like those, those years, of years of abuse just suddenly vanish because, oh, you're my son, and, oh, you're my, I have a dad, and so it doesn't matter that you've treated me like shit for... For five years. Yeah. It just, it's just—it's like it, about it all that emotional and verbal abuse that you heaped on me. Well, why would Harry care? He's used to it. Well, that's true. Snape is no different than Vernon. So we basically are uh, sort of like so. For it to be realistic, we're talking about horrible Stockholm syndrome. Are you the one that wrote the one where that Harry was actually Snape's and Lucius's baby? That's yes, I did. And I actually prefaced that rough trade by going, "I have no idea where this came from." <laughs> see, that actually makes more sense to me than Lily and Snape because at least Lu- Lucius was a Death Eater too. Yeah, <laughs> which is actually saying. part of my ra- that was actually part of my rationale was that. Death Eaters get to have babies, too. <laughs> I'm just saying. That actually that actually makes more sense to me than Lily um, lowering herself. Um, and, the, and the only other option for her having consensual sex with a Death Eater is that Snape raped her. Well, then it's not consensual. Well, like I said, that's the only other option. Is that she oh, either had consensual two. sex with the devil. Yeah, I totally heard that the or, wrong way. Or she, or he raped her. Um, and either way, uh, it's just terrible. Someone said earlier that um, they were they, they were talking snidely about the abuse fix where Harry's terribly abused and only magic saved him. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that canon um, magic did save Harry. Yeah. Um, Harry carried a horcrux his whole life. Think about what the diary did to Jenny in a year. And what the locket did to the trio in the year they had. 
And Harry carried a Horcrux basically his whole life until Voldemort killed him when he was 17. So magic did, in fact, save Harry Potter. How did he get his whole... It's just it's it's, it's amazing. Um, it's also could be considered a terrible plot hole, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave it alone. <laughs> we'll assume it's not. Well, assuming it's not a plot hole, then yes, the magic did save him. Um, but there is um, the story that the, the Lucius Severus is Harry's parent story. Um, in that story, Harry and Draco are um, half brothers, and they are. Um, they're so close very quickly that their magic starts to go through a twinning process mm-hmm. where they pick up each other's magical gifts. Do you know one of the – I've more than a dozen times on that story I have been asked if it would eventually – if the sequel would be Harry Draco. <gasps> oh, come on. They're brothers. And wouldn't that be great? This is the, I, the chemistry between them is so great. They have such a great magical bond. They'd be. Are you going to make this a Harry Draco story? I'm like – are you people high? What is the matter with you? They're half brothers. But incest, inc- brother incest fix are so prevalent in so many yes, fandoms. People don't think twice are. about the fact that they see these two in a sibling relationship and go, is it eventually going to be a Harry Draco? No, it's not. There. That just ruined my story for me with that horrible question. <laughs> well, in my James Potter story, um, Harry and Draco meet when they're very young, and um, they basically grow up um, as siblings together. Um, and, you know, uh, they're very plotty together. Um, so I kind of already expect to see people asking for that pairing. Or asking for a triad, even though um, they're like brothers. At, so, you know, I see. <laughs> I, I see just, that already. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> just psych yourself up for it. It's coming. But the funny thing is, we can. The way our, our own perceptions of um, a character and our perceptions of how fandom treats those characters and how we write these characters and stuff, it all kind of, sometimes it just kind of coalesces into this thing that really starts to affect um, creativity for a writer. And sometimes if I want to be productive in writing NCIS, I cannot read in the fandom. I have to cut (laughs) myself off. This whole pairing thing did did remind me of that one story that you were writing. And I was reading it. I was doing an alpha read on it. And I kept waiting for the the moment, right? For the moment where Tony and Giz would get together. And Mm -hmm. you could cut the sexual tension in this story with a fucking knife. Uh, They are like in each other's space. I thought it was such a cock tease. And then I get to the point where I ask her, and she says, that's not even my pairing. I'm like, what? Are you serious? (laughs) Did you see what you did? (laughs) I hadn't. I had to go back and reread it. When I went back and reread it, I went, oh, damn. I actually don't think I've ever written, and the thing is, I don't think I've ever written their sexual chemistry as well as I did in that story. And it was totally not the plot. (laughs) It was great, though. 
<laughs> it was good because I actually my 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 um my I'm really close to a Steve McGarrett Tony OTP. I mean it it's like it's like like hanging on a precipice. But my main ship for NCIS is Tony. Any dude, it makes sense for him to fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I just I was like totally geared up for it. And I'm not even a Tony. I'm not actually a Gibbs Tony shipper as a rule. I'm not. I'm not really. I've written it quite a few times, but I'm not really either. I'd prefer to write Tony with people other than Gibbs, which is and why that was kind of, it was out. like. Why isn't this happening? That that was intuitive, wasn't it? Yes, was it that intuitive? was intuitive. Yeah. I was like, what? what, what? Come on now. <laughs> it was like intense. Yeah, she cock teased me. <laughs> yeah. It was, but you know, and then I went and I went and replotted the rest of the story um, to because I was like, I don't even have to, and I didn't have to change a damn thing in like the 40k I'd written at that point. I know. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to change one word to change the pairing. Dude, when you guys read this, you'll know what we're talking about. I mean, it's like almost from the moment that Tony and and Gibbs are in the same room, there's like this magnetic sexual attraction that carries through 40K. And you're like, at one point, Gibbs grabs Tony and he's like got him pressed up against the wall. I'm thinking, yes, no, come on. (laughs) And then you asked me about it, and I was like, that's not the pairing. <laughs> and then I go yeah, back I and read, and I was are like, you, oh. Are you, what? Are you sure? <laughs> I need to write all my pairings by accident in the future. <laughs> it was, it's great, though. It's great. Um, Yeah, no. <sighs> Speaking of Tony, Steve, that was my favorite um, RT this time for myself was when I wrote um, Tony, Steve. That was my favorite too. But I have a partiality for Tony and Tony Steve, and it was it was such a different tone. Um, it was just um, there was this real palpable intimacy about it that that wasn't um, wasn't sexual until it was. But and then it was. But from their first conversation. Um, the intimacy just kind of poured off the page and it um it, it i felt a little like a like i was you know intruding on a private moment a few times with with the way <laughs> they were together and it was just it was so um it just like i said it had such a different tone um something i wasn't expecting and it was kind of gentle and uh for all I that something horrible happened in it i think it's actually a bleed off from um courting hermione Mm. Okay, I could see that. Because courting Hermione Granger um is um is that way throughout the entire thing and um I came off writing that and I was in a very um I was in a very soft place as a writer. Um so And it's just but it's it's um really um ascendant was um that was Ascendant, right? I've got the titles. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you, did, you did all one-word titles this time. I know. <laughs> Which I love one-word titles. I truly do. They're my favorite titles is one-word titles. But, um, yeah, so, uh, but, I mean, Wrath was my, just, um, Wrath was my, 
with your Star Trek. And I loved yeah. Wrath, too, but there was something about, um, I don't know, it, it, it also just, it just it was just, you know, right fic, right time also, because it's just the that sort of palpable intimacy um, and that the the tone was just perfect. And, oh, thank um, you. It just, I just, I adored every, I adored every word of it. And, One thing, uh, I, when I was reading it, I thought to myself, I totally nailed Danny. One of the reasons why I don't write Hawaii Favo is I'm not confident of my ability to get Dano right. But I thought I totally nailed him in like the four lines he has. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. You definitely got Danny. <laughs> got that Danny down. Um, and it was just, um, it was, and I, it was my, um, it's probably my favorite. Um, I know it wasn't always platonic. But one of my probably my, one of my favorite Gibbs Tony um, platonic um, relationships. Um, the way they were with each other was just exceptional. It just I just I loved that they could have had a relationship and moved away from it, and it were still both in a healthy and better place for it, and that it's not all tragedy and angst and. Um, well- it, what really bothers me about bourbon. the NCIS fandom is that it is, is is that what that's what happens um, when Tony isn't with Gibbs, their relationship is ugly and mean and abusive, and I see it over and over and over again in the NCIS fandom. But in my personal life, I only have one past relationship where I could cheerfully set him on fire. The rest of the men that I dated in the past, I the, there's no anger or animosity there. There there's no it just didn't work and and we're all okay with it. You know? Mhm. Um so it's really I, I weird. only I only I only have one relationship where I am not still on good speaking terms with those people. Um, it was actually my first serious relationship, um, and you know, it's just when relationships end, with somebody throws a coffee cup at your head, yeah, you just, you just don't speak again. Um, no, I no, I, I, I get that. Um, but you, everything. But no, else, so, I just, don't, just I don't have bad relationships with my exes because I try not to sleep with assholes. So, right. Um, it's just for me the NCIS. It's either Tony's with Gibbs or Gibbs is a monster, and I. Oh, no, now, I, I wrote know. I wrote Gibbs being really supportive of Tony in um, um, All Your Reasons, which was my uh, Bruce yeah. Banner fic. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I had a little bit of I had a little bit of Gibbs Tony envy in the way you wrote it in Ascendant because I it I just liked how how uh, how how their dynamic came out in your story so much. Well, did you ever notice? Um, even Diane, um, um, even Diane, um, Gibbs is not cruel to the people he used to have relationships with. No, he can be, he's emotionally unavailable, but he's not mean. No, and he's not vicious. I mean, and, and even, um, there's actually, I think the inspiration for that particular relationship in, um, Ascendant comes from how, Gibbs treated Hollis Mann when she came back into his life, married to somebody else. He was very gentle with her, very 
I'm glad to see you, but I don't want you anymore kind of way. <laughs> but it, but it mm-hmm. wasn't mean. It, it was, it was, it was, it was very nice. And I, and I liked it. I liked how she moved on and she wasn't mooning over him. I appreciated that. <laughs> but I also like that he didn't treat her like there was some kind of betrayal there. You know? Mm-hmm. So I just appreciated that. And I, you know, there's just, sometimes relationships ends and nobody's an asshole. Yeah. Now, the only time I write Gibbs, um, I think this has been pretty consistent, um, is where I write Gibbs kind of turning into a dick is if there's ever a situation where he has to choose between Tony and Abby and um he um and in, in the cases where he chooses Abby like you know Abby's done something um and he has to he sacrifices Tony for Abby um then I let their relationship fall apart um and that makes sense because Tony does not accept um betrayal no and that is a betrayal and I think it's legitimate that, it, it, depending upon the amount, like I think I've written two stories where Gibbs, like, he keeps trying to work with Abby, but he eventually just like draws the line with her and says no. Um, but I also think it's, in, in, you know, depending upon where you are in canon, it's also realistic um, that Gibbs would choose Abby over Tony. Because he let her get away with murder for the whole show. Oh, yeah. Well, they all do. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, you know, I have... You know, and the you only person who works. ever tried to hold her accountable was Shepard, and she got villainized for it. Mm-hmm. Madam Director. Don't call me that. <laughs> you can call me Director or Ma'am. <laughs> she should have just owned it. <laughs> that would have been infuriating. <laughs> I probably should write in a different fandom that probably would like break my um, Tony block (laughs) (laughs) if you wrote somewhere else you know I think it um, I kind of stagnated in Stargate so I I, kind of drifted into Harry Potter as a um, as a kind of like a therapy a fandom therapy um but I, but That's I really lot, do feel you, you like you apparently needed a lot of therapy. Well, you know, <laughs> I have issues. It captured your imagination, and we all appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome. But no, um, and I, you know, this is really interesting because I had not read Ties at Bind in a very long time, and I read it, and I thought, oh my god, this is so filthy. <laughs> Especially <laughs> after coming off having written, um. My Hermione Granger story, and then my RT stories, I only had one that had sex in it. And then I just kind of fold off into Ties That Bind. That was like a whiplash. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) That was one of my favorite stories I've written probably in a long time. Um, Somebody mentioned the um, Tony is a. Long Lost Shepherd. Um, that's probably one of my it. favorite stories I've written in a long time. Um, it actually so ruined my headcanon that even though I had plotted a, a Tony John Shepherd story, I can't do it now. 
Yeah, because they're brothers. <laughs> they're brothers. I'm sorry. It's just it's, it just can't be done. <laughs> some head cannon just gets like entrenched. <laughs> just can't get it out. So even if they, even if I don't acknowledge in a story, even if John Shepard doesn't appear in the story, and or if he is in the story and I don't acknowledge it, you just better figure they're related in some way. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the background somehow, somewhere. It may never get exposed, but it's there. They're at least first cousins. <laughs> Actually, since I reread my entire body of work recently, I think <laughs> um, it's you and me both. Yeah, I well, we were kind of it's weird we were kind of in parallel about our reaction to Rough Terrain where we both went with it, and I eventually just kind of and one of the reasons why I was digging into my everything I read was I was looking for inspiration. Yeah. Something that would capture my attention and go work on me right now. That's the best way to find it. That's the best way to find it. it. Um, And I didn't. The only one I found that really captured my attention would have required me to sit down and watch a bunch of TV um, because I needed to get. (laughs) I need to refresh my mind about some canon and a crossover crossover fandom, and I wasn't in the mood. I mean, as much as I was, I was intrigued by the idea and thought I could work on it, I didn't want to sit down and watch two seasons of a TV show to, to get there. So I kind of put that aside. But, um, you know, so I'm reading all this stuff. I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading, and I, I, I think the one that, Emergence was the one that I had the most, owned, but it's also the longest, so it would make sense that I had the most, well, that was overcomplicated, or why did I go that way, or I could have done this this way, and it would have made a lot more sense. Or, and a couple of times, this is just like, I'm not telling anybody what it is because no one's ever caught it. There's this enormous plot hole. <laughs> and it's, well, it's enormous in the scene. It's not enormous in the whole story, but it's an enormous plot hole in this one scene. I went, huh, how did I miss that? <laughs> <laughs> Oops, it happened. Yeah, but, um, you yeah, know, these things oh, happen, shit. so... Um, but I think the story um, that I liked the best um, was De Novo. Um, of everything I've written, um, I don't know why that one just like I went, huh? That doesn't even feel like mine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one a lot too, though. It's um, it's 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 very different. Yeah, I really um, it just was a, such a different spin on the whole thing, um. A lot of different. It's just a different spin on a lot of different tropes, and um, I don't know why. I just I normally don't like Shepard all that much, but humanizing her and letting her kind of atone for her mistakes. Uh, I don't know. Creatively, it just felt like a good project, and it really was really satisfying when I was done. And um, I liked all the OCs in that story, and just in the rereads, I was surprised that that one and then If Found were I think my two favorites, which are both this year. They're both written this year, so. Um. If I had to pick a single favorite, honestly, it would probably be Emotional Clockwork. Really? Yeah. Like oh, like overall, um, if in in individual stories, um, when it comes to Sentinels of Atlantis, I've said it before, and um, it's probably always going to be true. My favorite episode of Sentinels of Atlantis is the Queen. That's a great episode. I mean, it's just it's really um. Often I see my own craft 
mistakes in my work, especially in Sentinels of Atlantis, because Sentinels of Atlantis is very big and it's got small stories and big stories and a really huge over arc that um, isn't quite evident to the reader yet. Um, and so I see little quirks. I'm like, oh, shit, I need to fix that a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. Click. <laughs> I'll fix it. <laughs> so if you read Sentinels of Atlantis today and you read it a year ago, it would be slightly different. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've, I've tweaked it a little here and there. Um, but when it comes to the Queen, my craft work in the Queen is just, wow. I'm just, I, it just really blows my mind that I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really super proud of that one. So, but emotional clockwork is probably my favorite characterization of, of John. Um, and John um, coming to terms with um, who he is and, and what he wants. And, um, accepting love, and so, yeah, emotional clockwork. I think my best craft was All Your Reasons, um, which is the um, Marvel verse, and it's simply because it's it's I, I you know for, there's several things I think I did well in that story, mm-hmm. but the thing that I think it you know the thing that I think I did really well was merging two improbable fandoms. Um, yeah, you're like, how the hell? Wow, that really worked. <laughs> you don't even know what? <laughs> and when I oh, look, it, there's I the Hulk, like, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, because when I, when I announced the pairing, I had several people contact me going, how in the world are you going to do that? And I said, you're just going to have to trust me. Watch and me. when I re-read, when I finished it, I went, that was one of those pen drop moments. And I went, I, I totally nailed that one. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> I got those two fandoms together, and nobody can tell me that it didn't work. Because <laughs> I just won't believe you. But, it, you know, I had somebody, um, I think it was last year, um, send me a exhaustive analysis of everything that's wrong with emergence. And um, Are you fucking kidding me? No. And the thing is, she wasn't wrong about any of it. She wasn't wrong about a single thing she pointed out. Yeah, um, but you didn't ask her. I totally didn't ask her. Um, but the thing is, is that I already knew all of it. There was not a single thing she pointed out that I didn't know. And I think it's interesting that people think that, and, and I wrote her that. Actually, that's the only thing I said to her was I wrote back. I said, um, it's intriguing to me that you think that I'm not aware of any of this stuff. And she wrote <laughs> back and she said, well, why didn't you fix it? <laughs> and I said, you know, and the thing is, and I actually stopped responding to her. But the the truth of it is, some of it I didn't recognize until the story was written. Some of it, and and to to fix some of the things that that are problematic with it, would require a complete rewrite. I'm not talking about a trivial edit. I'm talking about you know completely changing some of the world building, and that is way more effort than I want my stories to be as good as I can make them to a point. And that's way more effort than um, I'm going to put into fan fiction, something that's a hobby. It would just just editing something that's 225,000 words is exhausting, and yeah. to rewrite it over and over and over again. Um, and maybe someday I'll get in the mood to address some of those issues, but I kind of doubt it because I like the story the way it is, and I think delving into it and frustrating myself. Because what happens when you delve into a big edit like that is you can create new inconsistencies. Um, and you almost have to rewrite rather than edit, 
Right. Because I, I, I did this with Story in my last fandom life. I did this. And I created a lot of consistency issues when I went back and tried to do a rev two of it. But it's just interesting that people um, think that I don't know my own flaws um, or that I don't see my own mistakes. Um, and somebody posted on in a completely different context, but somebody posted on um, Facebook today that nobody's as hard on, the, on as hard on me as I am on myself. And that's very true for me about writing. Nobody else is going to be as critical of, of my work as I am. And you know um, what? I'm actually going to disagree with you on that because y- you can be satisfied with emergence as it is. You obviously are, but then you still mm-hmm. have this one person who felt she had the right to intrude on your process, to intrude on you, and to offer you advice that you didn't ask for. Because she's not satisfied with your work. Right. Well, she also told me that she loved it. Um, But here's all the things that you could do to fix it. Which was, you know. (laughs) I just sent her the grandma with the bird. I'm not not even kidding. (laughs) But, you know, and then I had this lady, this was, I don't remember if it was late last week or over the weekend, who sent me this, and it, the, the whole tone of the thing was, um, your stories are entertaining, but I don't know people liked them so much. And she didn't actually explicitly, she was? She didn't explicitly say that. Um, but no, I, but I, I didn't get what you said. Um, your stories are entertaining, but I don't know why people like them. I have gotten um, something very similar to that. You're entertaining, but overrated. So this is what, I'll just read it to you. So she says, I've been writing in the NCIS fandom since nearly the beginning. Many authors have come and gone, but a few of us have stayed the course. I enjoy your writing, but I wonder at its popularity. It is difficult to be objective about one's own work, but I believe my writing has great emotional depth and fully explores every facet of the characters and realistic reactions to difficult circumstances. Mind you, I'm editing out all the typos on this. Um, <laughs> your stories are entertaining, but I think they lack the depth that I personally enjoy. It's obvious people want the kind of entertainment you provide, but I believe you would find growth as an author if you focused on depth and truly exploring your characters. Some advice from one seasoned author to another. of sour grapes it's I've been around in NCIS a really long time and it's unfair that you've only been around a year and you're super popular I don't like it wine 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 go fuck yourself lady and by the way let me tell you let me try to make you feel insecure because I mean she framed it in I'm trying to help you because your story's popular because it's entertaining but it's not really real written I mean that's kind of her message God, that is that's kind of that was kind of the message. It's entertaining, but it's not really very well written. And you know, whatever. I, I was like tempted to say people who I whose opinions I actually trust disagree with you, but you know. And she sent me an anonymous email. Um, of course, she did. I, I, knew, I knew by looking at the email because she had to give an email address to send. Um, right. So I knew that it was a bogus email address because I mean it was literally anonymous at some you know, but whatever. So um, there's just nothing to reply to. Um, but I don't know. I, it's just it's kind of stunning um, 
that so I, I agree with you that there are people who will be harder on me than I am myself. But when it comes to um, legitimate flaws in my own work, right. I'm aware of them. I'm aware of my areas that are weak. I I can't write action to save my life. I said that I in a podcast, the- and someone immediately felt the need to let me know that on my professional work on Amazon. <sighs> I see. I'm the same way. I struggle with action scenes, and I struggle with falling action. I really, I can get stuck in falling action. It's like, and I actually will start to question the whole story if I get stuck in falling action, um, because it's like, is the story any good? Why am I so stuck on the ending? And I actually know, I know logically, that falling action is harder to write. It's more of an act of discipline than it is a creative thing. Writing to writing out that end sometimes is um, more is more skill based than. Um, creatively inspired because it's like, oh, I've hit the part that I was so excited about and now I have to end it. Mm. And I understand why some authors have 50 whips because writing falling action is hard. Um, But I'm aware of all of this stuff about myself. You know, I know what I need to work on. So I don't need people pointing it out to me. And I still don't need them pointing out manufactured shit that I don't (laughs) write my characters with enough depth. Kiss my ass. (laughs) There are plenty of things that I do wrong you could point out without thinking on something that she that you actually do well. And I think you actually do character work very well. I I, I would consider it one of your strengths. Um Thank you. so I don't even I don't even get that. Um but I have been called um overrated. I actually had this one woman send me this terrible long email and it was um right after I won that award for what might have been and we don't even need to talk about how the Sentinel found treated me when I ru- when I ruined their last year of like my fire awards. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you're so awful. I know, right? Me and my stupid Stargate fans ruined their awards. Anyways, um, when I won the award for what might have been, um, I got a really long ass email from someone claiming to be a big. <laughs> A big name fan in Stargate letting me know um, all her issues with my story and she didn't think it deserved to win. Okay. Delete. I didn't even respond. And and it was actually, she actually used her real email. Um, And I recognized her. She probably would be considered a big name fan. Um, But I think it's really arrogant when you introduce yourself as a big name fan. She did. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm really so awesome. So. I'm a big name fan of Stargate, and I wanted to. I'm serious. That was like her first sentence. <sighs> if Look, anybody ever gets an like, email from me that's like that, you need to know that my accounts have all been hacked. <laughs> and there's a pod person sitting in her and chair. Somebody, somebody is trolling everybody I know because I mean, I just who thinks that way? It. You know what, though? If I actually had a big-name fan who I have a great deal of respect for um, contact me and let me know something I did was stupid, it would hurt my feelings. But I don't actually like that person's work at all, so I didn't care. Um, yeah, if you are a BNF, you don't need to let, you don't even need to say it. You don't, unfortunately. Um, I wish it was a secret. <laughs> <laughs> because 
Anyways. Um, well, like I'm going to ask a lot, call, like emailed me and told me I sucked. It would hurt my feelings. <laughs> it would. This person yeah, it would, was it not asked a lot. <laughs> it would be like, you know, one of my favorite writers in, in NCIS is Lady Raw. And mm-hmm. if she wrote oh, me, I love Lady me Raw. that, that that my stories sucked. I mean, I love the way she writes Tony, and she, I think she's pretty much a Tony Gibbs shipper, and the way she writes their relationship is just, it's divine. And if she wrote me and told me that, you know, my stories were overrated, um, I would probably cry. <laughs> it's <be> a terrible <laughs> thing. I'd be channeling that horrible, whiny Tony <laughs> thing. I'd sit down and cry. It, it, but, but, you know... But for somebody, and it, it would be hurtful. But I still would be like, you know, I think it re- would reflect negatively on the per- any, the person who did that kind of thing. Um, it doesn't reflect. It doesn't reflect on me. No, because she um, never would do something like that. You're absolutely right, Xander. I mean, it just isn't something that she would do. It isn't something that um, Astolot would do. It isn't something no, that you know. Um, it isn't something that. I these I people would I have do. never seen <laughs> interact in any way with fandom other than with um, a lot of decorum and respect for other people. So you just don't, that kind of behavior wouldn't occur, you know. Um, uh, you know, Lady Ra is just very gracious, and, and she interacts with fandom and with a lot of style. And um, you, it's somebody who wouldn't just never behave that way. But this is somebody who's writing I actually like and respect. And so it would be a blow to hear something like that from somebody you like and respect. Um, Meanwhile, I throw bricks at people. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you've been you've been lobbing those bricks, haven't you? <laughs> I am super strong. I am strong over here. I can throw a brick at least eight feet. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I I try very very hard to treat other writers in fandom with a great deal of respect. I'm not always kind to readers who intrude on, on me and on my process. Um, and so I have a reputation for being a bitch. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I do, you know, I, no matter how I feel about how certain writers, you know, even, even, you know, like I have a real, there's a lot of slave fic in NCS and I have a real issue with it. But I I respect people's right to write what they want to write, except for pedophilia. Um, yeah, yeah, except for pedophilia. Um, but I respect people's right to write what they want to write, and so I don't say anything. To, I think the only time I I did lose my shit one time, um, and I did flame an author for um, having a very violent and very graphic rape scene, and, it, and I I was in a I was full blown um, having a major trigger issue, having like. A complete panic attack when I wrote her and told her that she was a terrible person. Um, and she she'd said that she'd said in the author notes at the end of the chapter that she hadn't disclosed this because she didn't want to ruin the surprise. Double and bird. I, <laughs> it was like immediate double bird. And I just went off. I just went off. And I I actually even though I felt in some ways that it was sort of deserved because that's just mean. I mean, it feels like you're saying that you know. Like you said earlier, that traumatizing me is your goal. Um, I still regretted that I um, broke my own rule about um, telling somebody that what they wrote was was horrible because that's basically what I said. Um, 
but yeah, I just like you, I'm try I try to be very careful with other writers. Um, even when it's um something that I really find objectionable, I just sit on my hands and close close the browser. That's just the way it's gotta be. Um, so it's it's really hard when other writers don't treat me with the same courtesy. Right. Um no, I get and it. I, you know, uh and there's like, you know, there are about four or five people on the planet that I would want um, craft feedback from, and I wouldn't want it from any of them unsolicited. There, I, I can't think of anybody that I just have a blanket invitation and say, if you ever read any of my work and you have thoughts about everything I did wrong, please feel free to eat me. <laughs> well, that's not true. Sina no. sort of has that, that, that invitation, but the thing is she would but, never do it, so it doesn't matter that no, I kind of No, no. Yeah, one can, thing that... Um, when someone point and yes, it had to be pointed out to me that I'm technically a big name fan. I someone had to tell me, and I really didn't believe them. And they showed can, me my stupid hear, profile fan lore. In the way you say the words, it's stupid. I think it's really stupid. But when it got pointed to me that I was a big name fan, um, I started to notice how people respond to my feedback. So I'm really careful about leaving comments on people's work now when I didn't used to be. Um, because, like, more than once I've had a writer, yeah, they call me a latter-day big-name fan in the Stargate fandom. It's, my fan profile is terrible. Have fun. It is um, really awful. It's really awful. Uh, they might as well just said, now known as a bitch, uh, also known as bitch. And they call you, they um, almost call you a misogynist. They actually say you're accused of misogyny, but. Right, yeah. Um, what I was trying to say is that um, I've had writers who freak out when they realize I'm reading their work in progress. Um, and. I don't want to, um, and I and then I felt like I was intruding on their process, so I kind of backed away, and I tend to only um, leave kudos and comments on people's work on AO3 when it's complete, to avoid intruding on their process, and that wasn't something that I had to deal with when I was just a regular writer in the fandom. It's, it's the, yeah, that's, that's pressure. I think I only, I mean, I've had people react a little funny to me commenting on, um, I, I think not as many people, certainly not as many people know who I am, because I don't write in as many fandoms as you do, and I haven't been writing as long under this pen name, and you've got a much bigger body of work. Um, mm-hmm. But every once in a while, somebody gets kind of googly about me commenting on them. But like, I wrote, commented on, I don't really use, read whips very often, but I commented on somebody's whip about something, and she wrote me and asked me if she had screwed anything up. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, if she you had, had asked me to stop reading because I was freaking her out. I was like, okay, I, I, um, I won't read it. Like, if you have screwed up, I ain't telling you. <laughs> okay, we got 25 seconds. Um, I might do a show tomorrow. It depends on how I feel. Um, where I can continue to whine and complain about how successful I am online. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you guys later.
Bye. Shut up and sit down.